You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. Talking to a lot of the volunteers uh, as, bef- as we were setting up and everything, and, and I've gotten word from, from people in talks, Everyone's talking about the new Spider-Man movie, okay? Everyone's talking about Everyone's talking about either COVID or Spider-Man right now. Those are the two topics everyone's talking about. And I am a Marvel... Actually, it was the second lockdown last year during January that Nikki and I caught up on all of the Marvel... We had never been Marvel people, but we had nothing to do, so we watched all of the Marvel movies, including the ones that aren't very good. And there's quite a few of them that aren't... There, there's, some, there's some gold ones in there, but... I've heard that this one, from most people say, it is their favorite Marvel movie that they've ever seen. And I haven't seen it. And I'm cheap. And we don't go to the theater to pay for these things. We wait for it to come out on Disney+. Plus. So we're going to be waiting for a while. All that being said, Spider, there's a lot of talk about Spider-Man right now. And I question, though, where our hearts are at. Because with all of the conversation about Spider-Man... We're completely missing, as one talk show host said this week, we are completely missing that today is the 20th anniversary of the greatest film series that's ever been created. And it's called The Lord of the Rings. Okay? Today is the 20th anniversary of the release of The Fellowship of the Ring. Did, I, did anyone know? Why is there no fanfare for this? Right? Why is no one talking about this? Forget Spider-Man. This is the 20th anniversary of the greatest film series ever created, Lord of the Rings. (laughs) You know, there's Harry Potter's having a reunion, right? Who cares about Harry Potter? It's the 20th anniversary of the Lord of the Rings. And no one is talking about it. It angers me deep into my soul. We used to, every Christmas, before Christmas, friends and I, we loved the films. Every year, we would drive down to Windsor. (laughs) And we thought Windsor was amazing. The only people that think that are people who grow up in Chatham. (laughs) We used to go down to Windsor and go to the Devonshire Mall. We thought that was the greatest place ever, the Devonshire Mall in Windsor. And then we would go out to eat. We would spare no expense. We would go out to eat at Red Lobster, and then we would go to the theater to see the newly released Lord of the Rings. We did that for three years straight, saw all of them, Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, and then the Return of the King. And high school Aaron sat there and, and, and self-conscious tried to, uh, uh, give off this, this image of confidence and manliness in, in high school. But high school Aaron would sit there and be so in, 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 engrossed in the story, I would, I would weep in the theater. And my favorite, uh, my favorite movie, Tyler's shaking his head. I'm sorry, Tyler. Are you, are you ashamed now that you're ashamed of, ashamed of me? Um, um, my favorite one is actually The Two Towers, the second one. And I think I've said this before. The the last hour of The Two Towers is the greatest cinematic hour you could ever experience. It is is an experience. 
And high school Aaron sat there, tears rolling. I, I, I laughed. I cried. <laughs> I'm really playing this up. It wasn't that dramatic, but it was dramatic. I remember, though, uh, sitting there watching for the first time and at the end of the Helm's Deep battle when, when the nation of Rohan and the, all the heroes that you're cheering for, is their back's against the wall. There's just, or, or, not orcs, but orakai. Even, even more dangerous than orcs are, there's, there's thousands of them on the, out, on the outside of the wall. And morning hits and dawn, the sun rises. And there's no hope. There's no hope. At that moment, I am going somewhere with this, by the way. At that moment, they didn't need good advice. They didn't need good advice. At that point, you know, if you've ever seen the two towers, there's just like the king and a few guys in the throne room. You're like, man, they have. This is it. This is all they've got left. And hope is gone. They don't need good advice. They don't need fighting advice. Like, how do we fight through thousands of urukai? They don't need fighting advice. You know, they don't need advice on, uh, you know, what are we going to do with, with Helm's Deep once, once the urukai have taken control? They don't need good advice. What they do need is good news. Because there's nothing they can do. Hope is lost. So, from what they can do, there's no, they, there's no advice that you could give that, that they could accept at that point. But at that point, they needed good news. And then, of course, you hear the, the words of Gandalf as they, all re, as they all remember the news that Gandalf spoke days earlier. Some of you could probably quote it, right? As the sun is rising, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn. Thank you, Jared. Look to the east. And as they ride out, and they're filled with hope of this good news that hopefully is going to happen, they ride out, and they look to the east, and of course, the rest is not history, because it's, it's not real, but the rest is history. Middle-earth history, anyway. The point that I'm going to hear in, in from the passage that Aaron read, good news is better than good advice. Good news is better than good advice. Uh, one commentator I was reading this week, Ray Ortland, he said this, he said this which I thought was fascinating. Christianity is not fundamentally challenge. And I apologize if that's what you get from, from preaching and from our singing, that it's fundamentally about challenge. That here's the truth, do something with it. Christianity is not fundamentally challenge. It's fundamentally assurance. It's, Christianity is not primarily about good advice and how to live a better life. Christianity is primarily about good news. Because often in our life, when, our, when, our back, when there's no hope left, they're back against the wall, there's no advice that's going to help you. What you need is good news. Something that will change your fortune. See, I think this can look a few, few different ways in churches or whatever it is, whatever, whatever um, worldview someone may have. 
that good advice is primarily we live a, a life that, that's challenge, that you are to live a better life. Could look a few different ways. One is, one is kind of a, a light way of, of, of that push. You know, a lot of sermons that are just like three ways to live a better life. And I probably, probably preached a lot of those, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Like three, three ways to have a better marriage. There are always three or four every sermon. Four ways to whatever, you fill in the blank. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but if, but if there's no assurance behind that, that's just, that's not really Christianity. There's also a lot of churches that, that put that in a heavy way. Not, and that's kind of like the light clickbaity stuff, like three ways to have a better marriage. There's also the heavy, which is, maybe you've been in churches like this where the culture is, you're a terrible person. Do better. You're a terrible person. Do better. Like me. If Christian culture is just challenge. It's like you're running a marathon on empty. It's like someone who's screaming in your face, like, run harder, run faster, but you don't even know where you're running. You don't even know where you're going or why you're even running in this race. But I'm apparently supposed to run harder and faster if Christianity is primarily challenge. It's not actually, if it's just run harder, but you don't know why you're running, it's not freedom, it's, it's a burden on your life. That's why Ray Ortland said Christianity is fundamentally assurance, not challenge. Assurance means, and I love this definition, assurance means it's a positive declaration, which means it's good news. Something that's not about you, but news that's come from another location that changes your life. It's a positive declaration, which means it's good news that then gives you confidence. So therefore, it energizes the change or the actions in your life. But good news has to come before good advice. Or it's not Christianity. In Isaiah 40, if you haven't turned there, go there now. You know, either on your phone or if you have a Bible with you. Isaiah chapter 40, which we've been looking at for the last few weeks in our Advent series. Isaiah 40, this is the the context is these are the people of God uh, who were supposed to live and and God blesses them and they show the world what what it's like to live as the people of God and therefore would bless the world through through the grace that God has shown them. But now because of their disobedience, they're in exile, there's judgment and they're back. They're, They're like that they're like that group of people in Helm's Deep, and they don't know, there's, there's no advice that you can give them possibly that's going to get them out of this problem. There's no advice that's going to get them out of this problem. They didn't need good advice. They needed good news. That's the point of Isaiah 40. And for you in your personal life right now, Christmas itself, for many of you, Christmas is really heavy. I think we kind of assume that Christmas is this nice, light time of year that everyone enjoys and everyone has fun, but for many of you from in conversations with you, Christmas is really heavy. It's one of, your, it's one of, the, it's one of the, the things in, 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 throughout the year that you least look forward to. 
You circle it in red on the calendar, not because you're excited about it, but man, now I have to deal with all the problems that that are in my life that I've been trying to hide from. Christmas is really heavy. I sent out a text yesterday of why Christmas this year maybe felt heavy to you. Got a whole bunch of responses. I could summarize them in, in, in four ways of what you guys, this is from you, what you guys, how it feels heavier this year. You know, number one, of course, this is kind of the elephant in the room is COVID and COVID restrictions and the uncertainty of what that's going to look like a week from now, you know, or days from now. It feels heavy. And you're like, oh boy, this feels way too familiar to Christmas of last year. And we pray that it is not like the Christmas of last year. One of you said, or a couple of you said, actually, that one thing that feels heavy is just this you struggle with rest. When there's less things to do, you don't know what to do with your life. <laughs> Not having the normal rhythm of going to work and having you know, your schedule, you're stressed out about. And here were the two, COVID and then here's, here's, the, here's the two biggest answers that most of you said, a lot, many of you said. Family loss is one. Either through, uh, through death, you've lost family or through brokenness, you've lost family. And the reality of spending a Christmas, another Christmas alone, is heavy. The other one that many people said was family division. This year, more than any other year, your family is divided, pointing fingers at one another arguing more than, more than you already do, as families often tend to do, but family division. And there's this, these sides now that f- have formed in your family. So now you've got to come together and somehow, somehow be gracious and nice toward one another when you fundamentally disagree with worldviews from the other side. What do you do with that? Because it's not just opinions, it's things have been said that are hurtful. Fingers have been pointed, blame has been cast. And what do you do with that? So Christmas is heavy. And what we need in our Advent season isn't just more advice. Here's how you handle, here's how you handle that heaviness. What you need is good news that will energize your action. I'm going to read again. Hoodie read read, uh, these verses, but Isaiah 40, verse 9 to 10. Go on up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will carry, gather the lambs in his arms. He will ca- carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This passage, as we described in the last few weeks, is these people that are in exile, God, God says, comfort my people, comfort my people. And he sends three messengers to deliver them news. The first one was about the, the, the king is coming and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. 
last week, uh, now, now my memory has to, that last week we looked at that God and his word is the only thing reliable that we can actually count on that will happen. So the, the news that he sends may be the only reliable source that you get, but it's news that you can depend on. And then finally here, here's the third messenger sent to his people. He says, go up to a conspicuous location so that everyone can see you. Those of you who have been to like Dundas Peak, go up on Dundas Peak where everyone can see you. Where it's, you can't hide from anyone else. Anyone looking up can see you or you could shout from the peak or this, this, this cliff location where everyone can see. Shout out this news. Raise your voice. Don't let your fear hold you back. I can't remember who told this story, but someone said when they were in Scarborough Bluffs, I can't remember who told the story, but I've experienced it myself where they were walking, where they were walking and then they stumbled upon this, this guy who, who got to the top of the bluff and he got on top of the cliff and he yells out he doesn't know anyone else is there and he yells out I'm the king of the world but not knowing that there's like 10 people like 20 feet away from him and then he turns his head and realizes what he's just done so the passage says you know yell from this conspicuous location and don't let your fear don't let your embarrassment hold you back and why draw all this attention to yourself and the the the, the reason is because you have good news to share you are a herald of the good news a herald is just another word for a bringer or a messenger of good news fear often can hold us back but the weight of this good news should be enough to tip the scales that you wouldn't be afraid of those who are listening or the reaction that you get even those of you who don't like to draw attention to yourself it depends on the weight of what you have to say and then attention can be drawn to you if the news is good enough and here is the good news Oh, herald of good news, here it is, to tell my people, and it's very simple, behold your God. Behold your God. Behold was a word that was used to observe something remarkable. It was something that, was, that captured unmistakable attention. It's like meander at 11 o'clock every time. Every time, every 11 o'clock, Meander makes a noise. It's coming, to, it's counting down. And every time it makes that noise, it's like saying, behold, I am here. Because it captures attention. You can't ignore it. It's there and, and, and no matter what, you can't ignore it just for what it is. It was a use, word used for unmistakable attention that you can't miss. And there's this beautiful simplicity in this passage. Behold, here is your God. And I was re I'm reminded as I read through this passage that God himself doesn't need strobe lights. He doesn't need a Hans Zimmer orchestra. He doesn't need any of those things to draw attention or captivate the human heart. He just needs himself, his own character, which will captivate every human heart. Just a clear picture of who he is. And here's the picture. There's two parts. The first one is in verse 10. The Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. 
There's all these prepositions in the passage, like something coming, a description of his character coming with him, another description of what he's going to do going before him. Basically, they all mean very simple, very similar things. It says he comes with might, his arm, which is a picture of, anytime the Bible uses the arm of the Lord, that's a picture of his strength. It's almost like rolling up your sleeves to show your strength. That's what the arm of the Lord means. It always meant his strength or his power. His reward and his recompense come with him and before him. What that means is when he comes, what he also brings is his justice and salvation where he rewards where he rewards those for their, their, their good for their good deeds or the faith that has been expressed toward him, but he also brings his justice that he will punish those who do evil. This picture is of the power of God that no matter what powers may inhabit this earth, no matter what powers may be in, in rule over our world right now that you may not trust, it doesn't matter. This is what we are encouraged. They're no match for the arm of the Lord when he comes that everything wrong will be made right by his power, which gives hope for the oppressed, those who are oppressed by evil powers the people that have been taken advantage of, that gives hope that the power of the Lord, the arm of the Lord will come and make it right. It, it should also send shivers down the spine of all those who are drunk on their own power. That they will not be able to hold on to it. One day there will be a day of justice when those who have misused their power, power will have to answer for it because there is one who has greater power that they will have to answer to. That's the day of peace. That's what it looks like. And as Cale led, the words, then shall the wolf dwell with the lamb, nor shall the fierce devour the small. That's only possible because there is one who comes that is more fierce, more ferocious than any powers that exist here on earth that will come. One who brings ferocious power Ferocious judgment and fierce truth. Behold your God. That's one side of God who comes. That's the description you get in verse 10. There's also verse 11. And it's kind of a surprising turn after verse 10. Like this, this fierce, ferocious God who is, who is strong and powerful, who comes to strike down all those who are drunk on their own power. Then in verse 11 it says this, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. This is a very different picture. All of a sudden this strong arm of the Lord says he will gather lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He, was like, he will wrap his cloak around them to protect them. Almost like a, a mother with her child or when, what do you call those baby Bjorn things that he used to do when our kids were really young? We used to go for hikes and they'd be in that little thing. That's kind of the picture you get. Or it's like you're, he's carrying his children like a parent. It says he leads those, gent, not just leads those, but gently leads those that are with young. It's a very different picture. It's very two different extremes from verse 10 to verse 11. Verse 10 is this picture of this fierce God. And verse 11 is this picture of a lowly, tender-hearted shepherd who gathers young ones in his arms, carries them in his cloak, or his baby Bjorn. 
and he gently leads them. The picture is this God has a heart of empathy, patience, care, and concern for his children. He cares for the brokenhearted and feels their pain. He's close to the outcast. This is not some being that in sovereignty exists far above, that doesn't feel the pain of humanity below, but of a God that is close and who feels our pain, the pain that you go through. The Christmas that you have where you're, you now have to look again for this Christmas that you are going to spend alone. He's close to you. He cares about your pain. He, the, the, this God who lets the child, the poor, the prostitute, come close. Where everyone else said, stay far back. You're too sinful. You're too unclean. This is the God that lets them close. It's the God who comes. Behold your God. You see those two different pictures of God. Both of them are important that we uphold. Not only is God this fierce God, but he's good. Not only is he sovereign and all-present and all-powerful, but he's he's good. Soft-hearted. This is the God that made demons tremble. But he also shed a tear for his friends. It's the God who declared judgment on empty religion, but showed kindness to a woman caught in adultery. It's the God who commanded the weather and the sea, but washed the feet of his disciples. This is the Lion of Judah, that when he comes will command power of the world, but also the Lamb of God, who was quiet and slain for us. This is the God who is fierce, but good. Behold your God. Two things, and then I'm done. Two things. That there's this good news of a good God. Two things as I read through that I thought to take away. That afterwards we're going to have some little bit of time of fellowship that you can talk about, you can pray about how your heart or your perspective of God needs to change this good news of this, this God that is here, that is coming. First one is this. Because there's good news of a good God who comes with fierce power but also comes soft-hearted. Because he is good, Following God or obedience, it's a benefit, not a burden to you. It's not supposed to be a burden to you. I was talking about when Christianity or sometimes church culture can be more about challenge than about assurance. It can almost sound like the commands or the obedience of God, like this is something you must do. It's not supposed to be the, 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 what following God looks like. It's something you get to do. It's a benefit to you to, li- to follow Jesus because he's good and he wants what's good for you as well. Obedience is not a burden. It's not supposed to be a burden that if I mess up, 
<laughs> I mean, we can use this in relation to God that you must do something, you have to do something, but more, more closely, it's you get to do something, carrying the burden of your own righteousness. How many of you have experienced in your church culture like that heaviness or that burden? It's like, man, I have to do this in my life. I may not even want, nothing inside of me says I want to, but I have to. And it's hammered over and over and over and over again to you. But carrying the burden of your own righteousness is actually supposed to be what you're saved from, not to be what you're saved to. Carrying the burden of your own righteousness is what you're saved from by the power of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 11, verse 28 to 30, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Following the commands of God is supposed to lift your burden, not put a heavier one upon you. It's supposed to be a benefit to you, not a burden. Secondly is this. This is really important from the passage. Because he is good, this God who comes, because he is good, you can trust him. Let me say this. If there was no verse 11 in this passage, this would be a terrifying revelation if there was no verse 11. If there was no picture of the goodness of this God's heart, and it was just about that he came to bring power, the strength of the arm of the Lord, but there was no goodness from verse 11, this would be terrifying for all of us. This would be a terrifying revelation for all of us. That if God was sovereign, if he was all-powerful, if he was all-knowing, and he was ever-present, but there was no verse 11... Like God, that God wasn't good, well, that would be terrifying. Imagine a being that exists, that's all-powerful and all-knowing, that is ever-present but isn't good. It's a terrifying reality. And I'll let you know this. I, don't, I wouldn't follow him. If he did not have goodness, if he had all of those other attributes but did not have goodness in his heart, I wouldn't follow him. I would fight against him, a losing battle. Even though I knew, I knew I would lose, I would fight against this God if his heart wasn't good. But here's the, here's the great part of the passage. That verse 11 is there, and you can trust him because of his goodness. You know, sometimes we say things, and I've probably even said this myself, it's like, he's God, he can do whatever. That's not true. God can only do, he can't not be himself. He is bound by his own character. He can't be evil. He can't do whatever because he's good. He does what is good and right. He can't not be himself. He's bound by his own character and his own goodness. And thank the Lord that he is good because he is good. You and I can trust him. You may not be able to trust him because he's sovereign, because he's all-powerful, 
but because he's good, you can trust him. This God who is fierce, but good. Behold your God. God, thank you so much for this picture. Very clear, simple picture of this coming king. This news that we are brought. This God who comes in power. But this God who comes who is good. Lord, I pray that we would uphold both of these. That we would not shy away that there is a God that will answer, that will answer, that we will have to answer for the evil in our life. The world will have to answer for the evil that exists. He cares about what is right and just. But there's also a God that is lowly and tender-hearted. As I said earlier, there's a God who commands the waves wind but there's also a God who washes feet Lord I pray that if there are some in this room here especially during this Advent season man Christmas is heavy for them or maybe there's some here who, who are withholding their belief they're like I, I don't know if I can I don't know if I can trust this God Lord I pray that it's by your goodness that they would give their heart to you, they would give their life to you. Lord, you are good even in times when I'm not. This is the best news that we could we can ever we can ever receive. We pray for all these things in your great name. Amen.